Oh, there's a countdown. Yes, there is. Isn't I that forgot fun? there was a countdown. Yeah. It's very jam, like five, four, three, two, one. Jam that's, Jackson. That's not our theme song. I was gonna say <laughs> it could be. We don't. We can't afford that. You can we barely afford, afford the song that I wrote. This <laughs> true. I'm, I'm assuming that's when the theme song will. I'm, I'm assuming that's that's the cold opening. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm Cody Dagalorians, and this is Neil Dagalorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Back at it again at Krispy Kreme. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, was yeah. I don't know, I, I, don't call it a comeback, etc., etc. Yeah, I bet you thought you never see us again. What's that meme? What's the meme? Surprise, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> bet you never thought you'd see me again. Exactly. We are that meme. Insert that meme in your head. That's That's us. We are back. Uh, we are back for an indeterminate number of episodes. And don't indeterminate even say that. Don't even, put, don't even put that energy into the world. Just we're back. We're back making podcasts for people. Um, it's one of the many things that is new that's new and changed about our lives recently. Uh, it's been it's been a minute since you've heard from us. I think the last time that we did episodes, it was during the pandemic. We was did pandemic. Yeah, we did some pandemic episodes. Did yeah. we? Uh-huh, we sure did. Uh, um and then, and, and then uh, we hated each other for a while. That's evergreen. That's that's been the whole life of the podcast. No, that's not true at all. Uh we've never hated each other um over the podcast. No, other other reasons. <laughs> Other reasons, but not for many the podcast. Not but the not pod. the podcast. No, there are many changes in our lives since you've last heard from us. Uh, the pandemic, um, the pandemic has shifted and changed enough, so we weren't stuck in our homes anymore. But um, we took that opportunity, not being stuck in our homes after the pandemic, to move. We, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was great. We, you yeah, left we, your job, and then I left my job. I left my job, mm-hmm. and then we both left our jobs, <laughs> and we moved. Now we have moved to a new state. We no longer live in Connecticut, where we used to call home and roam. We now live in the lovely state of Ohio. Are you going to pull up that one episode that you heard that one time where I jokingly said, oh, and we're living in Ohio. Oh, God, never that. Yes, that uh, very funny. So very Insert quickly that right here. Before we started to do our episodes, um, I listened to a few back episodes of Bearded Fruit. And in one of them, I think it was one of the pandemic episodes, actually, Neil made a joke about us moving to Ohio and said, oh, no, not that. And I thought that was very funny, considering we were both now currently in Ohio. I am now putting on the clown makeup. (laughs) And the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song is playing in the background. But yes, we are now in Ohio. We are both pursuing new new opportunities and new professional lives. Much has changed, and we live in the land. What is Ohio known for? Buckeye State. The Buckeye State, yeah. Um, which, um, I, I don't know. I know it's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, 
Arboretum Sciences with Cody DeGloreans. <laughs> I know it's a nut, but it's also, but I like to jokingly refer to it as a bean. Um, because it is. Because it's a, it's nut, a bean. A bean nut. Well, um, there's the Buckeyes, there's Ohio University and their mascot, there's mm-hmm. the Bearcats of University of Cincinnati, there's the Fighting Saints of Xavier. I actually, I don't know if that's what mm. Xavier University is. Um, I think Kent State is the Hawks. Um, the Cleveland all of Institute those, of Arts nerds. I don't know. All of those creatures and plants, the fauna and flora of of Ohio colleges. Uh, yeah, we we now live in the Grandel State of Ohio and are pursuing fun new adventures. One of them is the return of bearded fruit. Yay! Yay! I didn't. Do Thank it you. Yeah. Thank you for the yay. I People were waiting yay. on bated breath. I miss the A. Um, and so, you know, in a, in a proper return to Bearded Fruit, uh, we're going to talk about the internet, which <laughs> we often talked about in previous episodes and previous incarnations of the show. Uh, but there's a good reason to talk about the internet now. And it's because of Twitter. There is a panic around Twitter. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. I have no idea what you're talking about. Through the grapevine. But Twitter has a new owner. Elon Musk actually went through with buying Twitter. And in the wake of buying Twitter, he made a lot of bold moves, a lot of big, bold choices, as Tatiana would say on AS2. A lot of BBCs. A lot of big, (laughs) a lot of big, bold choices. Um, He fired half of the staff, kind of right. He's like, see ya. Um, He... (laughs) He tried making blue check verification available to anyone who could pay $8. $8. It's $8, right? $8 so a month. $8. So it went from like verification went to as long as you had less money than you need to go see a movie, you, you could get your little blue check. Then that completely backfired. Um, he ended remote work for everybody in the company. So people who worked at Twitter from all over the country who weren't actually near the head, like you had to return immediately to your jobs and upend your whole lives. And uh, he also – it also – in the in very depressing ways, emboldened like the worst four channy elements of the online world to think it's okay to come back to Twitter and be horrible and terrible to everyone. Well, and the weird thing is though is that like that was always there. Like 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 th- th- there's a subsect of people who I think are very because 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 Twitter and social media in general like there there is relevance and truth to the notion of the echo chamber so like my twitter experience is radically different from your twitter experience is different from others so like there's this whole kind of like it may be more vocal now but like that was always there um like just get into any prominent trans women's like mentions and you'll see terrible terrible stuff but now it's just like even more vocal and like there was an uptick i think i read something like a 400% uptick in the use of the n word alone mm-hmm. like yeah. yikes friends yeah certainly so like yeah not to not to suggest that it was it was erased entirely before but but it certainly did explode again in a significant way um in the wake of it and that made a lot of people who use twitter kind of freak out um i've <laughs> it's very funny i've been Watching people like write these farewell threads as though they are like throwing themselves off, off you know, <laughs> off the side of a boat into the yeah, water. Yeah, it's not the Titanic, know. y'all. It's yeah, like it's Titanic. very like I'm putting this note in a bottle and sending it out to sea and hoping someone will will hear my story one day. Um, of like being they're gonna leave Twitter and announcing 
announcing their their move to Mastodon, which is where everyone seems to be going. <laughs> wow, so much fun, Mastodon. Um, yeah, but like people are really freaking out about these change in Twitter and the the what feels like a very like a real possibility that Twitter, as we understand it now, will not be relatively soon maybe it doesn't mean that the platform will disappear but this but it certainly feels as though the platform is going to change in significant ways very soon that will mean like the way we use twitter before isn't going to be the way that twitter will exist or will use it moving forward because of this change in ownership and so i thought that would be like a really good place for us to start a conversation because we spend a lot of time on the internet and we spend a lot of time engaging in the internet, maybe to our detriment and our the, the detriment of our mental health. The but internet be... is uh, the mutual friend we tell people who introduced us. <laughs> that is not untrue. That is not untrue. Yeah, that's why I said it. But it was not Twitter. Um, no, it wasn't Twitter. It was the internet itself. But I thought that it'd be a good place for us to have a conversation, both about the usefulness of this platform. Like people are freaking out. Why are they freaking out? What has Twitter been good for, for queer folks? And also then what is the downside? Like, is there going to be life after the discourse is gone? Um, and so I, I hope, I, I hope there is no discourse because that sounds like it would be wonderful actually sometimes. Yeah, so the like the the theme of this episode is: Do you believe in life after discourse? Discourse. No, discourse. You, you got to do the. Uh, you got to do it in the neck. <laughs> Sorry. Um. So let's start with the usefulness of Twitter. That's the place to to begin to talk about what has Twitter been good for in terms of queer communities and queer engagement and and queer people. Nothing. Next topic. <laughs> Well, I don't think that's totally true. Uh, <laughs> so, some I think things. That, Next topic. Yeah. Well, no, but I, th I think that there have been some very useful things that Twitter has done for queer people, and not just like for for queer community in general, but some specific kinds of queer people. Like, I think for for queer creative folks, queer artists, queer writers especially queer writers who are like writing, writing articles and essays that are online in, in spaces that are not necessarily quote unquote mainstream um, queer YA writers, people who are independently publishing queer work in different genre and medium. Like those people have been very much helped by Twitter. Twitter has become the place where people are connecting to and finding their work and they wouldn't necessarily have found that work otherwise. Yeah. Cause like I, I think of, um, medium the website medium um like as a website it is just self-publishing self-platforming and we we don't i don't know anybody who just goes on medium you find articles that are posted through other other means um and i think i think medium is is this interesting kind of self-publishing world where there is a requirement of an external platform or external platforms to get people to go to it. So there, there's some some kind of interesting sort of relationship between other platforms and Twitter. At the same time, I, I was mentioning before we hit record this notion of the echo chamber. 
And I think there's a really unrealistic sense of community that occurs as a result of Twitter as well. But try trying to stay in the positive right now. Uh, Twitter. Um, uh, Patreon. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the positives of Twitter. Well, so uh, I mean, my online life now was positively impacted by by Twitter um, as a content creator because <laughs> I hate that I use that phrase, but that's what I do now. And and Twitter you're a cam was a, girl. Call I, yourself a cam girl. <laughs> you're a cam girl. And Twitter was a really important part of like helping that 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 idea grow. Um, if if you have not followed me in my online life in between the last episode and now, I do asexuality education content online as Ace Dad advice. That's my my brand now. And Twitter was a really important place to to grow that identity and grow that project um, to the place where it is today. The book would not have been possible without Twitter. Cause that's where my publisher found me was neither your Twitter. second, nor your potential third, nor your potential yeah. fourth. Yeah. And so, and I know other creators like that, other people who are making queer content, um, that, that aren't like writers and things have, have used Twitter to, to grow their brand and grow the awareness of what they are doing. Now, granted it's, it's in context of other websites too, and other platforms, uh, because I think like, I mean, you can't just rely on Twitter. You've got to use all the options. But Twitter has certainly been useful for that. And and through that making of content, I know I know there's like we can talk about we can talk about the like uh, the sort of illusion of community that online spaces give. But certainly, I have seen from from conversations that I've been a part of that f- some people do find real sense like that's where they're getting their their community jush i guess you know like they're not getting it there isn't a real world place to get it so they're getting that in in an online space like twitter and not to like rated r rated x not for not safe for work this conversation but there is also something to be said about twitter's function in the post nudity tumblr um and and how twitter a lot of like i i will still see Twitter profiles where in the bio it literally says something to the effect of Tumblr refugee, which is problematic to begin with. But just thinking about how once Tumblr put its new its its nudity clause kind of into effect and it's specifically its adult content policy uh, changing, Twitter kind of became the haven for that. And now it's funny because Tumblr is like slowly rolling those back in light of all this. And it's like they, Miss Ma'am, they are seeing an opportunity. They are seeing an opportunity to grow back to their heyday, their their pre-nudity uh, clause heyday. And there's also this other very interesting cultural thing happening on Tumblr where people are actively acting strangely in order to keep twitter refugees from kind of like it's it's super funny because it's it's people are acting like it's 2012 again (laughs) it's very fun but also very strange to see in the year 2022 so there's there's something to be said about that as well where there's like thinking about sex workers thinking about those who uh, make a living off of using their bodies as a product Twitter is a huge way that they get their OnlyFans set up and and get their clientele. So now without Twitter, how are they going to get their clientele again? Because 
FOSTA SESTA and all these other things, making it really difficult for sex workers and sex workers work uh, to find kind of a footing, so to speak. There have also been conversations that have been happening in the online Twitter space about like Twitter as a tool for marginalized communities to um, to communicate important bits of news, to navigate very specific situations, and to to share information. And that is, I think, another really crucial point. It isn't just about like the feel good community part, but Twitter has also been a really great tool when when you know when like shit's going down to communicate information very quickly and directly from the source where it's not being filtered through other people where you can like directly know from people on the ground in the, in a place what's happening in a place sort and like that can pop- sometimes be useful for queer folks like a populist form of journalism almost mm-hmm. yeah um but without the like like journalism is a field for a reason there is Riggery involved. Riggery, there, there is <laughs> rigamorous. There is rigamorous involved. <laughs> Who's Morris? There are standards in journalism, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and and if you, I feel like if you in, if you take Twitter away, um, while there may still be outlets that are are still sort of communicating news. Those are more gatekept. Those are not quite as accessible. And I guess like a thing that we have kind of been circling around with all of these these examples is really that like Twitter was a way to democratize a lot of gatekept institutions and gatekept arenas. You know, it was a way to make to make promoting your OnlyFans way more accessible than trying to like share that in front of your grandma on Facebook. Like it was yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime I see something even remotely spicy on Facebook, I'm like, sir, this your is grandma is not going to want to see that in between. Unless, unless she do, unless she do, grandma uh, got, yeah, grandma like, got urges too. Yeah, Twitter has definitely, in 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 some ways, democratized uh, spaces that otherwise people, especially marginalized communities, especially queer communities, wouldn't have had access to, and. That has been very useful. It has been useful, not spreading information, news information, but also as a tool to spread educational information. Um, I think about my experience in the ACE and Arrow communities where there aren't real places in the world where you can find information about what it means to be asexual or aromantic. And Twitter and other platforms like it have been a place where you could go and find that information readily from reputable sources. It isn't like, you know, WebMD writing whatever they think about ace stuff. It's actual ace people saying, okay, this is asexual stuff. And this is, this is, this is the, the jam here. And this is what you need to know. Um, It would be hard without a platform like Twitter to find some of that information. There's no Ace J store. No, not yet. Anyway, J store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, good job Twitter for that. For all of those, <laughs> good job Twitter for all of those. Um, but of course, can we start to shit on it now? Yeah, like, but of course, I mean. <laughs> we have had many personal conversations about the downsides of Twitter and, and, and while we can positively say those, those good things about Twitter, I think a lot of them carry with them also a lot of negative things too. And 
Uh, so let's dive into what what is what has been the downside of as we've always called it the discourse, uh, which is kind of feels like what Twitter is like most of the time. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen something on Twitter where somebody is coming up with an idea that they think is so brand new and original, and I'm like, yeah, Lee Edelman was writing about that in the '90s, or <laughs> like like thinking about like even even just calling it the discourse is really frustrating for me. Um, and granted, I have my own biases with my position and with my kind of role in the world. There's all sorts of issues with with the academy and queer theory in general. However, it, it's just like I, I see these conversations occurring again and again and again. Like, j- just think about the the worst thing in the world, which is you know not war or famine, but uh, kink at pride discourse. Um, do we really need to have that every single year? Like, no, we don't. And it's it's been a, a a situation that has been, frankly, settled for years, and it gets updated, which is great. But I don't understand why it's still a hot topic every June. <laughs> why are we talking about this? Why aren't we talking about the things that actually matter? And I think part of the 140 characters at a time limit, which eventually became 280, woohoo, really limited the amount of nuance that we could have in these conversations to the point where people aren't checking out an entire thread, they're checking out the single first tweet. Or maybe there's a third tweet that gets retweeted a lot. And that's super unfortunate. People uh, on Twitter, Twitter will take things out of context super quickly. And then we could talk about pile on culture, we could talk about uh, anything about misrepresentation, misinformation, all sorts of fun stuff like that. It just it 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 is a platform that not just enables that, but in my opinion, encourages it. It encourages that kind of behavior because that is what gets you clicks, and clicks get the website clicks, and that's great for them. So they will even with the little tools where like like if you try to retweet an article, like don't you want to read it first? It's like no, I don't. Blah. <laughs> Like, thank you for passive aggressively trying to get me to read something, but I don't know how to read. I'm Jared. I'm 19. Um, so I, I think the the nuance that is missed in the actual discourse, the actual world of the actual discourse that is actually happening at meetings and in conversations elsewhere, even, even thinking about like digital spaces pre-Twitter forums where there were no character limits and people could actually really get into things. And, and thinking about pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook internet allowed for nuance in a way that Twitter did not and does not and will not ever be able to. I agree that nuance is completely absent in the discourse um, and like life on Twitter. And I think another negative there is that um, Twitter has encouraged people to consider having a conversation as equal to activism that you know that that there is this notion that if you can come up with a good hot take or if you can come up with a good thread that explains something to somebody that you are doing your part to like engage in activism and I don't want to say that like that is non-valuable because conversation of course is can be valuable but it is not the only thing that one should be doing in to engage in the world and in their communities but and I think a lot of people do stop at 
well, you know, well, I shared my thoughts on Twitter. And there's also a, a, a considerable, I see this all the time, of deciding that people don't care about something because they haven't said something on Twitter. As though like saying something on Twitter is the definition of how much you care about the world or how much you engage in the world. Even you could be doing a ton of shit off off line away from the keyboard that no one knows no one on Twitter knows about. But if you haven't added to the conversation, then you somehow are like you like you're you don't care and you're a you're like a horrible human. See and, and this is kind of what I was getting at too earlier when I was talking about like, yeah, these conversations occurred in the past, read a book. Um, there is an, I, I was literally thinking about this on my way to uh, Chipotle today on my little walk to Chipotle from my office to the Chipotle. It's, it is actually kind of a trek. It's like a half mile and it's all hilly and stuff. And it was cold. Okay. I earned that Chipotle. Anyway, I was thinking about the role of, of Twitter. There is an argument that could be made that Twitter functions as a form of consciousness raising. Um, and when I say consciousness raising, I am very specifically referring to the method of activism that was per not perfected, but kind of implemented and used specifically during the second wave of feminism, specifically during the 60s and 70s and 80s, where uh, women in particular would have these support groups and just kind of support each other and slowly realize Carol Hainish, the personal is political, slowly realize that their personal issues, their issues with childcare, their issues with unfair labor, their issues with wage uh, inequality were shared issues among women. And so these support groups became a form of political praxis uh, and it's referred to as consciousness raising. It is raising the consciousness of the oppressed class. Twitter, you could argue, fulfills that function problem being that there's no follow through there's no way to turn a tweet into an action as opposed to a consciousness raising support group which then turns to direct political action whether that is on the individual level of those who are there maybe these wives have conversations with their husbands maybe their home lives become better because they realize oh women in general are treated terribly and maybe there's also things to be said about ooh, contact hypothesis of sociology which states that when somebody has a bigotry bigoted bias against another person if they find connection uh, at the same level uh, when they're at the same level of power then those biases start to melt away so when these women are learning about the struggles of women in other contexts from them that they would never have uh any connection to such as women of color, queer women, etc. Suddenly these biases go away. Suddenly there's solidarity. Suddenly these things are happening. That doesn't happen on Twitter and that cannot happen on Twitter. Um, I would argue it maybe can't happen in a digital space. Um, I don't know. I didn't reread glitch feminism for this uh, conversation. I'm sorry. I didn't have the time. <laughs> um, but I, I just think there's, while there's argument to be made about consciousness raising and about using the platform as a form of that, I think where, where it fails is the action that comes with afterwards. Sure, you can make people aware through a retweet. You can make people aware of a thing by sharing an article, by quoting an article, by uplifting a marginalized voice. But what does that do to change 
the state legislature to stay to change the county commissioners to 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 change who is even a judge in your area is it re- resulting in votes is it resulting in policy changes is it resulting in school board meetings uh, having certain conversations almost certainly not um so i think f- for the most part there's just no follow-through and that's what frustrates me about Twitter and when people conflate Twitter activism with quote-unquote real activism or people whose entire form of activism only exists on Twitter. What are you actually doing um, that has tangible real-world substance? Um, and uh, obviously we are exempt of that because we have a podcast too. So like, <laughs> well, I was gonna better say- than that. No, no, okay, that's not, that is a joke. That is not what we think. I don't um, know what you're talking about. I mean, it's stereotypes. <laughs> But I, but I, but I do think there is something like, like real, real there. Like there is, we're not, I don't, I don't think that you're necessarily saying, and I I would not say that um, participation on Twitter means you're not doing anything in the world. Like if you are also going out and, and volunteering, if you are also going out to that protest too, if you are working with voting whatever or you're just voting if you are going out into the world and doing things and that includes making other things if you are creating other spaces where if you were writing books or creating art or doing workshops out in your community that inspire that you know help people like adopt a creative way to deal with their lives or whatever like if you're doing something in the world that is that is helpful then they're not talking about you. You know, we're not talking about you. It is, it is just very specifically like just having a conversation air quotes on Twitter is not necessarily completely helpful action. Well, and even, 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 even like to take that a step further, um, I wouldn't call myself an activist. I would never apply that label to myself or my work. Yeah, I don't either. Mostly because not even to say like, oh, I do nothing because I do <laughs> some of those things you listed were things I literally did a couple weekends ago. Um, and and thinking about like my classroom as an activist classroom, like I wouldn't call myself that because I feel honestly, personally, that that devalues the real work that is activism. If I'm just sitting here saying I'm an activist. Like that is devaluing real world activists who are actually working in their communities, who are actually working with with people on a, on a on a basis that I am simply not doing. Even if I am doing these workshops or creating this content or whatever, I truly do not feel like like my work has activist potential. I could I could say that with some semblance of confidence, but I wouldn't call myself an activist. And I, I think a lot of that too, we don't have enough time to get into like the structures and the gatekeeping that make art in general, not really a good medium for activism to begin with. Uh, but we don't have time for that. Unless no, and do. like, no, we don't. And I, I agree. I don't, I can, when I talk about my work, I, I never say that I'm an activist. I talk about myself as a writer and an educator, which I think is more accurate. Well, there's also um, just a better A word, like advocate (laughs) like like that is a better word to describe the work that we do in our classrooms and in our daily lives we are advocates we we advocate for a thing and we do fight for it in our own ways however like to say activist is kind of implying a level of commitment to to imply a level of truly sinking teeth into something that we just frankly 
in order to also do the other things that we do cannot do. I agree. Um, one thing you said earlier was something I want to kind of loop around to, and it is the notion of community. And this is something that I that I've thought about a lot in, in Twitter on Twitter space specifically. Um, and you talked about activism, activists, you know, being, being the people who go, are going out and working in their community. And a thing that I've, that I've struggled with on Twitter is around that notion of community and the difference between um, online digital community and community in the world. And part of that struggle for me has been, um, so I exist in the, in the ACE community and that is a primarily online community. Not a lot of ACE folks know a ton of ACE people in their, in their, their away from the keyboard lives. And they don't know, you know, they, there's not a place you can go to hang out with other ACE folks in most places. So most people in the ACE community exist online. Like we're hanging out with each other and knowing each other online. And while I think that's really positive, um, I do wonder, I, I, not, I don't wonder, I feel like I've, I've like, I've observed that it, because we are existing in an online space, for example, like Twitter, it encourages us to, to, to treat our community the way we are expected to treat people on Twitter, which is to not care for them in the way that we care for people in our, in our away from the keyboards community. Um, we are, we are sort of encouraged to, to make rash judgments about people and decide their, their, um, you know, their worth or their, uh, or their, how much they care about something just based on like their tweets as though that is the whole of a person. Um, it is, it, you know, Twitter breeds competitiveness in, in these like online conversations, you want to try to be the most prominent voice and you want to be the one that like says the right thing. And you can, there can be a tendency to, to attack people for saying what you perceive to be the wrong thing. Um, even like really like digging down into minutia about it. And I just don't feel like those behave, those behaviors are specifically online behaviors and they're not necessarily the way we treat people in the world. And so there is like a, there's, to me, there's like a failing about community online that community falls short online because we are never expected to care for people the way we are expected to care for our community in the real world. I have a fun little analogy, a way to think about it, because I think what you're, the word that you're kind of dancing around is dehumanizing. We, we dehumanize people on digital spaces and what that immediately makes me think of is the reason why in the academic art world, we emphasize for foundations level students, for beginning students, that drawing needs to be done from observation first and foremost. And that is because when you draw from a photograph, you are not drawing what is reality. You're not drawing what you actually sense. You are drawing what a machine has already flattened for you. And so you are drawing a simulacra of an object or of a space. And so we focus so intently on observational drawing in real life using only photographic reference when absolutely necessary. Like if you're sick and we have to tear the still life down to make way for the next one, then like take a photo real quick so you can finish your drawing at home, whatever, who cares? So like in a similar fashion, digital platforms dehumanize the users because we are flattened in a way. 
ooh, glitch feminism, yay. <laughs> she talks about flattening. Um, and she talks about marginalized bodies in particular being flattened in, in, in the corporeal world, in the AFK world. But we also engage in that in a digital world where we, we flatten each other to these very particular experiences where we are a profile image, we are a 30 second uh, video clip or, or TikTok, we are a 140 character tweet. We are not humans. We are not complex creatures who have feelings, who have experiences and who have uh, these, these sensations, who have relationships, who have histories. And so similarly to a, a beginning artist who's learning to draw from photographs, we are allowing a machine to flatten the entirety of a human. We are allowing it to then uh, instead of observing them in the real world or, or or observing them in a more real-time kind of scenario, we are instead allowing them to be flattened and then we are judging based on that flattened perception. And that's where like thinking about alternatives or thinking about the next step, the best thing that I could think of, honestly, and this is going to be real wild for me to say this, but I think Discord, honestly, if we're thinking about like an alternative to Twitter and something that can create a digital community that is actually feeling like a community. I think Discord is a way to do that because of its voice chat um, that is much more in real time and even just chat in general. It's it's very like AOL instant messenger rooms um, in a way, in a lot of cases. And there's still like the other thing that the dehumanizing comes from is the anonymity where unless you are a TMTM brand like ASTAD advice, um, or Neil makes things. So many people are anime profile pick, and like n- nothing against the anime profile pick, but like that's not you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you yourself are not Naruto. I am sorry, as much as we both want you to be. Um, so there's like a further dehumanization through that. So at least with Discord, even in the non-voice chats, there's like an immediacy about the conversation that that occurs, and there's there's something where it's it's action reaction in a way where like I can say a thing that's really quick, similar to Twitter. However, <laughs> it stays in that room. So if somebody has a question about it, instead of it being like quote tweeted, and then there are millions of threads of people uh, spreading misinformation or misunderstanding the point, it's all in the same room so I can clarify myself. Or if it is a voice chat, it is, it's a voice chat. It's, it's, a, it's a dialogue. It's not a shouting to the void and hoping it echoes back like Twitter is. So like Discord in a weird way is has a lot of potential for that, but then it has the same exact flaws of echo chambers, of uh, creating insular things, of also being used in really malicious ways. So it's definitely not perfect, but none of these platforms are because humans aren't perfect either. Um, so uh, TLDR, go to tw- Discord um, if you're searching for that good old timey internet feel. The end. Yeah, I've yeah, I've been I've been messing around a little bit on Discord and it has been uh it's been fun. Like How's it Discord going, fellow a... kids? Yeah. <laughs> How do you do? How do you do, fellow kids? Uh well, I can't help it. I mean, a brand is a brand. Um but yeah, like it it has it has been a very like different vibe than um than than Twitter or any of the other ones where the other platforms really do feel like um it is it is upon me to create content and send that out into the world there is some level of engagement but it does feel very much like a pressure to make and distribute whereas discord does feel more like a conversation and, and it, again that's it's, fun it's the it's because it captures that pre-twitter internet it, it captures the 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 forums 
And like, I remember being on in, in when I was way too young to be doing such things. I was on internet forums. I was on, I, I had these, these usernames and these accounts on these forums and I was engaging in conversations and it wasn't nearly as immediate as discord allows. And yet it was still, I don't know. It felt like more of a community shout out to albino black sheet forums um, from the years 2004 to 2006. Uh, good times. Good times. And I think that brings us to kind of like the, the end of our conversation and thinking about like, if Twitter does go away, what, what then, what takes its place or what does community look like? And so like in, on what I'm hearing is that in, on one hand, we want to find digital spaces that, that are more conversational, that are more immediate, that are more humanizing. And I just feel like that it's like trying to find digital spaces that are more like what real in the world community is like. And I feel like that's like, that to me is an important thing that we should, as if Twitter does go away, instead of trying to figure out what platform we migrate to next, to integrate into that, like, well, is there a way to like go out into the world again and, and, and try to sort of find community in the people around us? Uh, because there, there's a lot of like impact that we can have in our immediate spaces, not just, you know, not just being amplified on Twitter and getting a bunch of retweets, but you can do a lot for the people you are immediately around. Well, I think, I think, too, the, the, the other side of that coin is also how we're defining community, because I think there are two very different forms of community. There is the like consequential or happenstance community, such as like the literal neighborhoods that we live in. Uh, in many cases, we don't necessarily have much autonomy in, in those cases, or like you can't really control who your neighbors are they're just whoever lives there so there's like this kind of consequential happenstance right place right time community but then i think like what we're trying to go after especially if we're thinking less geographically and more digitally which i think is beneficial especially to communities like the asexual community um we're thinking intentional community so it's it's more than just what is the next platform we go to. It's it's also what is the ne next platform we go to, and from there, how do we build a community out of this platform? Because I think Twitter was never meant to be a community or a place where communities occurred, and so as a result, and none of these platforms were. They were just means to connect through some way. Twitter was just oh, 140 characters because that's the SMS text message limit, and we're just gonna build a platform based on that. Facebook was actually school oriented at first <laughs> and, and Instagram was phot photography and art and in Tumblr too. Tumblr was originally aimed at artists and now is just whatever, which is great, but it was never necessarily made to connect people in really deeply intimate ways that community does and that this AFK community creates. And so when looking at the next digital platform or the next kind of space to create it, it is the intentionality that I think will create the community as much as the people who inhabit it. I would like to loop back to a thing you said about, um, about how like we can't choose our, we can't choose our immediate community, like our neighbors. We don't get to choose who lives in our neighborhood. And I think that's, that's a very valid point. But I think it's also instructive to think about how we exist among those people that we can't choose. Sure. Um, you know, we don't 
I think about the way that we behave in our neighborhoods where we don't get to choose our neighbors. We don't necessarily just randomly go over to their house, knock on their door and yell at them and tell them they're an idiot. Or we don't often. Yeah. You know, we, we, there are behaviors that we engage with online that we feel like it's okay to do to strangers or okay to do to our neighbors that we would never do in, in our actual physical communities because there's like, there's a different, like I said earlier, there's a different way we're expected to care for people in our real life communities. Yeah. Social norms. And that's yeah. where like the, in, the intentional community, if, if we're creating these digital spaces as communities, we are creating social norms uh, in a way, but like also at the, uh, you don't get to choose who's asexual either. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, like we don't, uh, we don't get to choose who's part of our queer community. It's just whoever shows up. And so you know, there's, yeah. there's definitely, I, I presented a binary, but it's way more of a Venn diagram that, that actually resembles a lot more of a circle than it does two circles. Yeah. And I, I just wish that we would, I hope that in, if Twitter does disappear and we do have to find some other online spaces to make digital homes for our, uh, our, the people who are like us and the people who are making things that speak to us, I hope that we bring a more humanizing uh, vibe to those places and to treat people in those digital spaces more the way that we treat people in the world. And maybe that's a Pollyanna because I, some people do treat other people like absolute garbage in the real world. <laughs> I mean, I see those, I see those TikToks all the time. Like some people do actually treat like actual humans there next to in, in a, in a, in a McDonald's the way they do online. Uh, Again but, though, that's, that's a dehumanizing yeah. there. Like that comes back to dehumanization. Um, people treat each other terribly in the real world because of dehumanization. So in creating a less dehumanizing digital space, we will maybe hopefully potentially create a more human internet, but I highly doubt it. And I think that's where we should end this episode. Do you appreciate my um, backing away from the microphone for that before I belted? I do. I do. My, um, that was my defying gravity. (laughs) Thank you. I, I justified that. the beans. Thanks. In that moment. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bearded Fruit. Your hosts are Neil DeGalorians and Cody DeGalorians. Music by Neil. To learn more about our work outside of the podcast, visit acedadadvice.com and neilmakesthings.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, shoot us an email at beardedfruitpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share the episodes with your friends. Until next time. <laughs>